0: Welcome to the Inside Aesthetics Podcast. We host real conversations with real experts from around the world. Away from the filtered bubble of social media, our aim is to educate listeners and explore any topic in the cosmetic and wellness space. We also get a unique insight into the business minds of the entrepreneurs and pioneers who have helped shape our industry. This podcast and its related publications provide
1: news and general information about procedures and products. You should seek professional medical advice and assessment before considering any treatment. Our guest today is Anita East. Anita is a nurse practitioner located in Brisbane, Australia. She has over 23 years of experience and has performed over 15,000 non-surgical cosmetic procedures. Anita has also worked as a professional actor, TV presenter and singer, and is a regular and sought-after speaker at conferences where she presents her ideas on natural-looking beauty by creating subtle enhancements. Anita has also recently published her own book called Beautiful Unique Faces, where she reveals the frightening changes she's witnessed in female demands for cosmetic enhancements, sharing case studies and personal anecdotes from inside the treatment room. In this episode, we discuss Anita's thoughts and hopes for the industry and her unique approach to cosmetic enhancements by identifying and embracing her patient's unique facial features. Hello. Hi.
2: Good How are you? Morning.
0: How are you? There you go. Good morning.
2: I'm good. Look at this. It's still updating.
1: Oh <laughs> my damn. goodness.
0: And you've got the big screen as well.
2: I know. I don't know what time. I just mean. I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll close, I'll restart my computer so it's nice and, you know, fresh and all the rest of it. And I didn't know that it would it would do this.
0: <laughs> it's all good. We're just gonna have a chat. You don't need your computer, do you?
2: Yeah, true. Yeah. True. We can just have a and chat. I, it, and, and it doesn't matter if I just hold my phone like this.
1: Anyway. No, no, that's perfect. Or just put it on a um use some books behind you to just hold it yeah, up so you do have to use your hand too. like that. Otherwise you'll get RSI and then you'll yeah, I get a travel, will. Get travel yeah. sickness. I don't want to get a vertigo. <laughs> I, know.
2: <laughs> I know. Actually I do have a this yeah, it was all planned. <laughs> you I see. yeah, my my Computer um, and everything.
1: my laptop is currently sitting on seven nursing books because my um, girlfriend is almost finished nursing, and I'm like that's that, oh, these are my, my um God. these are my podcast uh, stands yeah. at the moment.
2: Perfect, they're awesome. And what I'll do then is I'll turn, like, <laughs> actually turn it to my camera. I'll turn my phone this way, and then I can do it. That's like
1: good. This. We're getting um, the grand tour of your house at the same time. Yeah, yeah I know. Thank you.
2: It's so funny.
1: So, Anita, thanks for joining us this morning. We know you're a busy lady, so thank you for your time. My pleasure. Um, but obviously, Jake and I know who you are. We met at CosmeticCon, but you're a registered nurse practitioner um, mm-hmm. up in Brisbane. So mm. just for our listeners to familiarise, um, so you can familiarise our guests with who you are, could you just give us a little bit of a brief introduction about who you are and what you do, uh, and then mm. we'll, we'll go from there.
2: Absolutely. Well, I've been a registered nurse now for 23 years um, and a nurse practitioner for five no, four and a half years. And I have a clinic up in Brisbane, like you said, um, and it's non-surgical cosmetic medicine. So I've been doing um, that specialty, if you like, for the last probably about 14, 15 years. Um, And it was actually on a film set in the UK, where I was um, working at the time where I saw, um, I saw the lead actress. She turned up to the first day of the film shoot with a very um, a completely overfrozen and overfilled face. And it was actually on that day that I changed my orientation from dermatology and cardiology, which I was doing at the time, um, to cosmetic injectables, basically trying to work out if there was a, a natural way that we could look enhanced rather than
0: look overdone. Can I jump in? How, do, how Why were you on a TV set? What were you doing?
2: I so I trained as um, as a as an actor. So I went to Central School of Speech and Drama in the UK and trained as a professional actor. I also worked with English National Opera and I sang. Um, so I worked as a TV presenter and a professional actor and wow. a singer. Wow. So what was doing you all my in? medical what, stuff? What as can as well? we
0: find old videos of you of on YouTube? <laughs>
2: Oh golly! Well, <laughs> I actually have. So my stage name was Anita Clements. Okay. C L E M E N T S Clements, Clements. Um, and I, I still actually have that that site and everything is still active. So I did Neighbours. I did Offspring. Wow. I did when I wow. moved back home to Australia. I did in the UK. I did theatre i did the bill the i did
1: bill. lots of adverts oh
2: yes yes just before it finished i hope it wasn't me that
1: you know <laughs> yeah, well, uh, i remember the bill was that that police police drama yes yeah. yes i
2: thought it was, it was a uk
1: show it was an australian yeah. show was it or was there no two it was versions? uk
2: yeah and no, it was right. in the uk so i did that right. when so i went to drama school in the uk i lived in the uk for 11 years so worked over so there and then the,
1: uh, were you the token Aussie, or did you have a British accent?
2: No, I had a British accent. In fact, okay. in everything I did in the UK, it was so funny. I did a I did a whole feature film, and it was on. I was on location for about seven eight weeks, and at the very end of the shoot, so it might have been the very last day. The director came over to me, and we're in the middle of a scene, and he he called time out and he came over to me and he said he said it's really weird. He said that one of those words that you're saying in this in this scene you sound Australian. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so he didn't even
2: know that I was an Aussie. So that's I had to really mask my Australian accent when oh, I was hear it. there and
1: let's hear uh, it. we should my, do half this English, podcast with a British my, accent. Yeah. Ab-
2: absolutely I can do that. That's fine. If I'm that's gonna, what you'd I'm like go to Australian. do.
0: Australian.
2: Yeah, that's fine, Jake. We can swap. That's no problem.
0: Beautiful, you flaming galah. <laughs>
2: <Strewth>.
1: Stroose, <Strewth. laughs>
0: Sorry, So I jumped uh, in and we've gone off on a tangent here. But sorry. So you're on TV, and then why did you choose to go into nursing?
2: Oh, so no, I did nursing at the very start.
0: Ah, okay. So
2: I so straight from school, I went straight away at seventeen and did my my bachelor of nursing.
0: Well, why um, did you choose nursing?
2: Do you know it was a, it was a toughie because I wanted to do something health related, um, but I didn't know what, and and then I wanted to do something creative as well, and it was a case of I don't think that many actors it's not a very stable career, so instead of going to drama school in australia i decided to do my nursing first and then at the age of 23 moved over to the uk to go to drama school in the uk instead so i was lucky because you know as we say in the acting world between acting jobs between jobs (laughs) instead of me waiting tables i was actually working in a cardiac cath lab in a pretty good hospital in the uk so
0: (laughs) where in the uk
2: I lived so at that point. I was living in St John's Wood, and then I moved from there to Brixton, which is when I went to drama school. Yeah, okay, bit so of a John's Wood
0: is lovely. Brixton it is, is up and coming. Not so. and Probably quite it's nice interesting.
2: now. Interesting. Yes, it probably is.
0: <laughs> so Anita, when did you move back to Australia, and then what led you into cosmetic nursing?
2: So I started looking at and started doing cosmetic nursing pretty much 6 weeks after that film shoot that I told you about where the lead actress turned up mm-hmm. overfrozen and overfilled I started looking at doing cosmetic injectables then so I started that probably about well that was about 15 or so years ago and I started doing a lot of skin a lot of dermatology um, medicine and that kind of thing and then when I moved back to the UK uh, sorry back to Australia 10 11 years ago I was working with a plastic surgeon um, in Melbourne, Dr. Simon Bernard, um, and I was doing injectables and skin with him, and then it's kind of progressed since then, so I've been doing it for a little while.
0: I'm curious to know, what did your training look like when you first did injectable training? Because I know for me, it was super basic, and you did it a couple of years before me.
2: Yeah, right. So I was, I worked with Simon, um, who rest his soul is no longer with us, an amazing plastic oh. surgeon from from Melbourne. Um, he, and he pretty much trained me from scratch, him and Galderma and Alagan. So it, essentially that was when Disport was with Ibsen. So Galderma yes. only had the dermal fillers, and Allergan had obviously both the Botox and and all of their filler range. So it was mostly through those two companies that I that I learned and Simon as well. And one of he already had an injectable nurse who was who trained me as well.
0: Yeah, that's probably the gold standard of what people would want, but it never normally happens. A lot of people mm. want to get into the field. You know, they do a basic course with a third party company, and then they're stuck because they do a two or three day course or maybe a, you know, a slightly extended course, but they never get the experience and they never have a mentor.
2: Yeah. Look, I was, I was very fortunate. And I think, honestly, I think that's the best way to do it is you have to learn. I don't think you can learn what you need to learn in a two or three day course. I just think it's impossible. You have to work on the job. It's like, it's like any type of, of medicine or nursing or anything you can't just learn it from a textbook and then be you know let loose on real actual living patients you've got to observe you know in a ward you wouldn't just be thrown out you'd have a team around you nurturing you.
0: Yeah I remember Mm. my first night as a doctor in fact I started on nights and I was absolutely terrified and you know you've got this practical knowledge and technical knowledge but Once you've actually got to go and do an arterial blood gas at three in the morning on someone who's writhing around, then then you start to learn and you get your experience. Mm
2: -hmm. Exactly. Exactly.
0: So Anita,
1: tell us about your practice up in Brisbane. What do Mm -hmm. you do up there? How does it all work?
2: Yeah. So I've got, I've had my own practice for about seven years now, um, and I've got a skin therapist that works with me, um, and I have a, a nurse that comes in as well. So i I don't see new patients anymore because I just don't have. I know it sounds terrible, but I just don't a good have, problem to have time. <laughs> well, true, I suppose so. But I just don't. I don't actually have time because a new patient consultation takes double the amount of time um, than treating an existing patient. So. I don't. If I were to treat new patients, I just wouldn't have time to see my my existing patients. So I, my nurse who comes in um, sees all the new patients, and then she obviously has a, a you know a list of her own as well, which is great.
1: Mm-hmm. And what are the sort of scope of treatments that you do?
2: So injectables. So all of your you know your muscle relaxants, your dermal fillers. Um, I've been doing thread lifts for about five uh-huh. years now, but not the, the trendy one, which is the PDO thread lifts at the moment, the, the other ones, the Silhouette Soft yeah. um, thread lifts I've been doing for, for quite some time. Um, uh, I used to do a lot more myself, a lot more skin things, but like I said, I've got a skin therapist now, so we do medical peels, we do needling, we do um, plasma needling, we do LED, we do all the lasers, IPL, um, and that kind of thing, dermaplaning. Um, What else do I do? I do a urinary incontinence shot, which helps women who suffer from urinary incontinence, and that's using PRP uh, to stabilise the the area and help to support the tissue in that area. Um, I'm sure there's more. It feels like there's more. I mean, I'm constantly there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when i
0: write right <laughs> and yeah so there there's any go. listeners wondering what the hell is that prp shot we've actually done a, a podcast on that with dr cat oh.
2: so- oh, taught me cat taught oh, did me she? yeah yeah Years- you in go. new zealand when we could when we remember that day when we could travel
0: yes, yes. yes those things <laughs> seems planes. like a distant memory yeah <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so it's interesting that you, um, well, not interesting, but what you are saying about dividing your time and not having time for new patients. I'm guessing that's mm. why you gave the dermal therapist the skin and many of the devices. You just, you, you know, you've only got two pair, what well, well, one pair of hands. So, yeah, you know, yeah. I guess you just do what you do and leave the other things to someone else.
2: Absolutely. And, look, she's a, you know, she's been doing skin for nearly as long as I've been doing skin and she knows that, that's what she can focus on. That's her love is skin. And, and I have my own skincare range, so I've kind of compounded that and I work with a, um, a compounding dermatologist using all Australian ingredients and so forth. So I make, within the clinic and within my brand, if you like, I ensure that people are, I'm always overseeing and making sure that they, their skin is being treated well. Yeah. So it's only right. And my skin therapist has been with me for years she knows exactly, you know, how we work as a. You know what's important to us as a as a clinic. So
0: yeah, and that's a, that's a really important point. I think a lot of injectors sort of you know delegate skin to someone else. They they lack knowledge. I'm certainly no expert in skin, but you need that integration between you know experts within your own clinic, so you can cross refer, pick um, up problems if they've only ever come for injectables and so forth.
2: Oh, for sure. Look, it's all good and well, you know, fixing the flooring. But if you don't, you know, help to repair the cover, then you're never going to have the best results. Skin must be treated as well as doing, you know, looking at the underlying tissue as well with injectables. It's, 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 it's absolutely necessary.
1: Yeah. Now, you're a nurse practitioner. Now, Jake yeah. and I know what that is, but I'm assuming there's a lot of people listening to this that are going, what the hell is a nurse practitioner? Yeah, Could you just absolutely. explain to us what that is?
2: Sure, and what yeah. that allows so, you to do? Yeah. So as a nurse practitioner, you have had to have uh, completed a, a postgraduate study, and that's generally uh, in a Master's of Nurse Practitioner. And to actually... Um, be allowed to do that you have to meet the prerequisites of the university to actually be invited to even study the masters and you have to have completed 5000 hours as an advanced practitioner within your within your specialty so within cosmetic injectables you have to have completed 5000 hours within the previous 3 years and that's essentially full time and those 5000 advanced hours aren't just oh look I've just got into injectables and I'm starting from day dot and that's, you know, that's my 5,000 advanced practice hours. No, you have to get to that level of advanced practice first, which can take about five years.
0: I've just and done then some you can start stuff. counting. 5,000 hours divided by eight is 625 days of full days of injection. Right, yeah. And most people don't yeah. do that every it's week. impossible yeah fair enough
2: exactly yeah so that's why we that's why they say three it's about three years worth full-time of advanced practice injecting and you've got to present to the university a body of evidence that supports that you have that so that they can then you know invite you to start your master's and that's only the very beginning
0: and that's a really contentious kind of thing, advanced injecting, because a lot of people you see on their Instagram, I'm an advanced injector. well I know and they started mean? last week.: Yeah, what does it mean? like at what level can you demonstrate that you are doing that? Mm, that's
2: a really good point because you're right with with Instagram and social media, we are our own <laughs> advocates, if you like, aren't we, we can we can, <laughs> yeah. we, we can become heroes. Hero, zero to hero in, in one day. So it's, and that's why the universities rely on the, if you like, the information from other practitioners around you to support your argument that you are an advanced practitioner. So when I started my master's, I had to have submitted to the university letters um, from medical practitioners. They were all medical practitioners, plastic surgeons, cosmetic physicians, dermatologists, mm. um, and also a nurse practitioner, the first nurse practitioner, to support the evidence that I was practising at an advanced level. Yeah. And also you've got to tell how, what that is. And that's not that's not just, you know, treating patients every day. That's being able to demonstrate critical thinking and critical analysis of treating patients with, a you know, with complex medical problems.
1: So what does a nurse practitioner allow you to do that I say a regular registered nurse cannot?
2: Yeah, yeah. So I am, if you like, I'm an authorised prescriber of Schedule 4 medicines within my scope of practice. So my scope of practice is, well, it's, it's aesthetic and skin medicine, but in different states in Australia, we're governed by, obviously, we're I'm here in Queensland, we're governed by Queensland Health and we have, as long as we can satisfy that we are prescribing within our rights, then we're, we're able to prescribe. So I'm an authorised prescriber, I can administer and... Um, authorise other people to, I could administer the Schedule 4 medicine. I can also um, advise other people to administer the Schedule 4 medicine so I can prescribe for, for nurses who want to, you know, treat their patients as well. Um, and I have all the same prescribing rights, if you like, as a, as a doctor in my, in my specialty field.
0: So Yeah. Uh, if you're in America, I think there's 10 schedules of drugs here in Australia and Schedule 4 is prescription only. Um, but yeah. they don't have uh, a sort of high risk of addiction. I think that's how they're yes. classified.
2: Oh, that's debatable, that's debatable, isn't it? That's well, really it debatable. Is. <laughs> you know,
0: Botox is pretty addictive, but, um,
2: you yeah. know.
0: But, yeah. some, some
2: people are more addicted than others, aren't they? That is
0: correct. <laughs> but but, there's a but the good thing is, Jake, you
2: can see it. You can see when they are addicted.
0: Correct. See? Correct. <laughs> and that's where your book's going to come in a bit later.
2: Mm. mm.
0: Yeah. So in terms of the other ranks of nurses for, for so what is an endorsed nurse? Because that's sort of a below a registered yeah. nurse. Yeah.
2: So it goes it goes enrolled nurse, then it goes endorsed Sorry, enrolled, enrolled nurse. nurse.
0: Right, yes. That's yeah. right.
2: EN, then an EEN, which is an endorsed enrolled nurse, then an RN, which is a registered nurse, and then a nurse practitioner, which is an NP. And an EN is now I don't know this for sure, but I think it's a twelve-month course at TAFE, mm-hmm. and I don't think as an EN you can—they can't administer medicines. An endorsed enrolled nurse can administer medicines, yes. so we're finding um, that a lot more endorsed enrolled nurses are actually coming into the the area of injectable cosmetic injectables because they're allowed to administer injected medicines. But there's a very big caveat there in terms of where, who the, who they have to be authorised to do that under, and it's actually a registered nurse or a nurse practitioner. So they cannot, they have to be, um, they have to be, what's what's the actual term they use? Um,
0: Supervised.
2: Directly, it? super, it's direct supervision. It's not just supervision, it's direct supervision by a registered nurse or a nurse practitioner, not by a doctor. Isn't yes. that interesting? Yeah. yeah.
0: So does that mean... What what does direct supervision mean, as in in the room, yeah. in the building, on the phone?
2: Yeah, in the room and absolutely in the building is my understanding of it. Um, but I know that there's all sorts of debate at the moment about it being over the phone uh, via video that kind of thing but my understanding is it's direct supervision is very different to just supervision
0: yeah Uh, do you mind if I ask you did you go down the NP path with a view to you know having the autonomy to practice on your own or was did you have like a you know did you just want to do it for your own sort of study and endeavor that way
2: yeah. So yes, definitely the latter. I am a little bit of a study freak. I've got that's, it's my second master's. Nice. So I've already got another one. I do like, if, if there's a topic that I'm interested in, I will study it to the nth degree. Um, and so for me, it was only natural to actually learn as much as I possibly could and that being via, you know, another postgraduate degree. I work in, I work collaboratively with a team, even though I am, yes, I'm an independent and, and autonomous practitioner. I work with um plastic surgeons, dermatologists, cosmetic physicians and GPS on a regular basis. so I have mm-hmm. my team around me which and other nurse practitioners as well which is really important um, because we need to work collaboratively um, at all times I think all of us do in 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 this field
1: yeah. Yeah, you just took away my next question, which was... Oh, I'm so uh, sorry, had, David. That's okay. I was going to ask, you know, h- how do you sort of work in terms of having a support team around you if you do yeah. get complications? Because I know that, um, yes. you know, I guess when, when you're not a a, um, a nurse practitioner that the, if there's a complication, the nurse normally goes back to the scripting doctor for advice right. and, you know, yeah. supports. So, I mean, that sounds fantastic that you've got that support network around you because I think no yeah. matter who you are you need. um, I mean, I I know even Jake's got his own little team of people from around the world and he's got a, you know, a situation or a question that he's got a team of people around him that can help and throw around ideas and, and, and so on. So I think that's really important.
2: It is really important, and I'm and I'm also um, part of a, a team for other nurse practitioners and for registered nurses. So when registered nurses have issues, they quite often, you know, will ask me as well for their for advice. So I think more hands can only ever offer different opinions and good advice.
0: Mm, yeah, agreed. absolutely. It does get a bit messy in a WhatsApp group of hundreds of people where they all chip in, and
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I am a I am a member yeah. of of a couple of those, and yeah, and it's I think we're up to about five hundred unread messages for me now, so
0: <laughs> uh, yeah. So, what do you? What's your advice to to registered nurses who are looking at this sort of pathway of becoming an NP? Because I know it's Something that I, I sort of anecdotally hear a lot on, on online forums and nurses sort of want that autonomy. They feel to some extent constrained by, you know, having to FaceTime or Skype a doctor every time they meet a new patient. Hello? Is that your dog? My ah. dog. Sorry. <laughs> That's all right.
2: There's some okay. there's some something being delivered. And so my my dog is uh,
0: It's all good. Um, it adds to the authenticity. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Organic
1: nature, yeah. yeah.
2: Of yeah. Um, uh, sometimes I'll, I was sometimes
0: I'll get a cat
1: mess. crawling across my keyboard, yeah.
2: Yeah, no, that's that's actually. Um, I did hear what you said, Jake, so it's all good. Um, I it's an interesting thing because, as with all things, I think if if the reason one is doing it is the right reason, then I think absolutely go for it, but but if it's purely because they think that they can cut out yeah. doctors, I think that's a really bad reason to be wanting to study to become a nurse practitioner. You should be wanting to improve your ability and improve your knowledge purely to contribute to the, the industry.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <It's not laughs> exactly. yeah. He's, he's only
2: a puppy. He's only a puppy and he has... Yeah. yeah posties is still so exciting
0: how old is the puppy
2: he's 14 weeks
0: oh so you're still in that baby stage of toilet training etc
2: oh well i'd love him to be toilet trained but he really (laughs) at the moment he he believes the curtain is his toilet
0: yeah
1: (laughs) oh wow there you go there we go so we're going to get onto your book um a little bit later in the podcast but i but i guess um I'd like to get an understanding, and I'm sure our listeners would as well, in terms of what your philosophies are in terms of how you approach your injecting. Mm. Um, because, you know, some of the, the conversation we had down in Sydney, you sort of alluded to, you know, wanting to, and we'll get onto this with your book, as I said, is um, treating people as individuals and, and holding on to those features. But what, what is your in- injecting or treatment philosophy?
2: So I think that everyone has something that's uniquely beautiful about their face, which I call their unique facial feature. and And I think that we should well, my injecting philosophy in is to, in, to examine that person individually, to watch them animate, to watch them talk, to, to identify their personalities as well and then to say, okay, I know what your unique facial feature is and now I'm only going to treat the things on your face that are actually detracting from your unique facial feature. So if, for example, someone comes in and their eyes are absolutely beautiful and they've got beautiful crow's feet that actually help to add sparkle to their eyes so they're the kind of crow's feet that go up rather than down um and yet they've got a receding you know chin for example then instead of treating their crow's feet I'll actually treat their chin because instead of me looking at their eyes which is where I want to be looking because that's their unique facial feature I'm looking at their chin and that's detracting from their unique facial features. So I'll treat their lower face, build that up so that, again, when I look at them, all I'm seeing is their unique
0: facial feature. 100% agree. 100% agree. And this is what a lot of patients quite understandably don't understand when they come to see us for the first time. They think that Botox should be used for every single wrinkle on the face Yes, and that things like lips and cheeks, what they've heard of, should be done. Yes, And, you know, it takes an expert like yourself to sit there and break things down, look at them from different angles, animate, static, and, and guide them as to what's going to improve things without changing, like you said, your unique features already
2: any. Mm, mm. Because they end up looking less attractive. So they come and, and they don't know what their unique facial feature is. We don't know what we don't know. So if we haven't, if we've never had pointed out to us by a trusted expert rather than someone trying to sell us something if we've never had pointed out to us what our unique facial feature is it's absolutely it's impossible for us to know that we shouldn't be getting rid of all the lines and wrinkles because all we're seeing, like you said, Jake, is what's on our phone. Mm. You know, it, it, there's, there's this influencer and that influencer and this clinic and that clinic going, showing screenshots of just a, pet of, a, ser, a set of lips or a set of cheeks or, or a defined chin or, a, you know, sharp jawline. It, it's, it's like then we think that we can choose our facial features, like we're choosing ingredients to go in our smoothie yeah. and it doesn't suit us. So we need to look at the face as a whole <laughs> rather than picking individual features. You wouldn't buy a handbag. If you only saw the buckle, you wouldn't go in and say, I want that whole, I want this buckle. No, you'd say, can I see the whole handbag first, please?
0: Yeah. A hundred percent. I think, uh, Kath Porter mentioned, I can't remember if it was on a podcast or just in person that you know, some of those shots that you mentioned, they might look good in high fashion, mm. say an advert or to show glamour. Yes, it's a sexy jawline. But if you see that person in person, it can look ridiculous. It, it, it looks literally sort of like a caricature of a person mm. because it's so overly augmented mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it just looks weird
2: yes 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 absolutely Uh, they do start to look weird when they start to pick and choose facial features and they're always what they consider to be perfect facial features well they might they might be perfect you know in a picture but they're not perfect on you and they're not perfect i bet you they're not perfect on the person who's actually got them
0: yeah absolutely yeah so you
1: especially when you're looking at a photo you're only looking at it like statically you're looking yeah. at it from one particular angle with perfect mm. lighting. They probably took 50 photos. Yes. They've chosen the best one. You know, maybe they've done a filter. Maybe they haven't. Who knows? Um, so it's not real. It's sort of like, you know, picking a character out of a bloody video game. It just, yeah. it, it's not real.
2: Absolutely. And and that's the other thing is that now that we're all able to have our, you know, like I said, we can go from zero to hero in one day just with one Instagram account and now that we can actually be, be our, our own director, our own lead actor and all the rest of it, we suddenly are in charge of, of what we're putting out there. Now, as a professional actor, I essentially took an oath that I am putting myself out there and when I play a character, I'm playing that character. Then I'm looking at the lighting team and the director and those, if you've ever been on a film shoot, the rig. The lighting rig is immense. The amount of thought. There's actually a lighting director who's as important as the film director. So the lighting can influence the story that's being portrayed so much. And people don't understand that, you know, they understand that when they go and watch a film and they say, oh yes, you know, oh my gosh, that guy looks really scary. Yeah. Because of the way the lighting's, you know, shone up this way or, you know, up underneath them or whatever. But on Instagram world, you know, people, you know, put, they take a photo and they use lighting and then someone makes a judgment based on that. And it's like, no, 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 it's all wrong. You've got it all wrong.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've got a question. You've met David in person and you can see yes. him on camera. What's his unique facial feature? All right, let's, can I go, <laughs>
2: can I, can I, can you say something, David? So my phone comes, goes back to you because um, yeah, I'm just well, Jake, looking at Jake's always, lovely, face. You, you,
1: you can actually do a gallery view if you want, and then you can I, see all of us at the same time. I, I will go. do oh, that. Yeah,
2: I actually remember your face, David, anyway, so I don't really need to um, <laughs> see you. But your eyes, obviously your eyes are an incre- a, a very unusual shape. You've got it. You've got very unusually.
0: He's, he's eyes. just generally unusual. I agree. <laughs> oh,
2: no, unusual is <laughs> in unique and beautiful. Unusual is <laughs> in unique and beautiful. Oh, there we go. Now I've got you on gallery. Okay, here am I looking really close. <laughs> um, so what I would, so I would actually say that we need to enhance everything that detracts from your eyes, which, quite frankly, you don't have anything that detracts from your beautiful eyes your and it's interesting it's your eye color and that's the thing you can't you can't buy that you you know you can't beat nature at its own game so regardless of what you inject into your face you can't actually make you can't change your unique facial feature. So because your eyes are such an unusual color and they're, they're very, you've got beautiful, sincere eyes. I'd be careful not to do too much to your lower face that detracted, but I would obviously, you know, if we had anything that was kind of pulling focus in your lower face, then I would help to support that.
0: He's got a cracking chin and jawline.
2: Yes, I know. Well, you've got it. I'm looking at your beautiful, you've got that beautiful stubble as well, which is always ever so sexy on a man, I think. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it's the only place that's you can go these fun. days. <laughs> <Yeah. Fun? laughs> so why don't we get into that amazing book that I can see behind you? So firstly, before we get into the topic, why did you decide to become an author? Because that's pretty ambitious mm. and time consuming yeah. and frustrating.
2: Yes, yes, all all of those absolutely. Um I think so in life everyone has an inciting incident and I had an inciting incident last year. Um and that that being that I almost died. And oh, wow. yeah, yep. Yeah, so I had an a, a near fatal asthma attack. Right. And I'd been becoming unwell, but um I'm just turning that off. Yeah, becoming unwell and not rested in the months leading up to it, and the reason I hadn't rested was because of the demands that that my patients were putting me under, because of the demands and the external influences that they were feeling from the pressures of social media, and I kind of took it upon myself that if I I couldn't possibly rest uh, when I was you know, becoming more and more unwell. If you like, I had a massive burnout mm. and it, which is actually is I, I, I'm, I'm since to, I have since learnt that it is quite common in, in our profession.
0: Do you mind me asking what hours you were doing and, and were you sort of taking mm-hmm. on extras, you know, early and late just to sort of fit everyone in?
2: Yeah, I was. I was doing all of that. I was working really long days, 12 hours plus. That's crazy. Um, yeah. yeah, it is crazy. And I think, and and I wasn't spending time with my family. And I've got, like I said, I've got two young daughters. I have a husband. Um, and I was, when I was getting home from work late at night, I was then starting the 100 emails that I would receive on a daily basis. I'd I'd start looking at those and answering those and there was never any escape. And the messages, phone calls, emails that I was receiving from patients were more and more obsessive and obsessed over seeking these perfected features. So when I, when I was losing consciousness, so, and I wasn't able to breathe, I couldn't breathe in, I couldn't breathe out. It was, I was, I was actually, when I was passing out, I actually was thinking about my patients of that day and thinking that I couldn't possibly let them down by dying because who then would protect them from the lies that that social media was, was telling them? And that's, that's insane and that's, yeah, that that's ridiculous. Yeah.
0: yeah, and it's almost like the unrealistic and demanding nature of what your patients were requesting from themselves as filtered onto the injector.
2: Definitely. And, and I became obsessed with their obsession and trying to ensure that they were safe. So I've always been very much you know, about keeping it very natural and, and focusing on my face, my patient's beautiful, unique faces and their unique facial features. So to see those who understood that, and, and I've been educating for years about this, turn and suddenly be saying things like, oh, can you give me these lips? I've seen these lips. My friend had these lips. Do you think you could do these? This Such clinic has posted them.
1: Yeah, Yeah.
2: And so I was losing. I was losing the battle and I realised, you know, I felt like I was fighting a one-woman crusade and you can't do that and of course what happened was my body took me out my body was like you can't do this I'm taking you out (laughs) I'm taking you out of the race girl that's
0: crazy so how long were you sick for you obviously had an acute asthma attack
2: yeah I did I did and I was very unwell probably for about the following three weeks and in that time I I had to, like I said, I I tried to fight it. And it wasn't until my GP said, I'm admitting you to intensive care. You are not seeing patients today. (laughs) You are not, they will not die if they don't have their frown Mm. treated today. That I went, okay, so the choice is either give it all away. I give away my successful practice treating my thousands of patients and I, I take myself out of the race or I Actually, you know what? I can't fight this anymore. I have to just swim with the tide. It's much easier to swim with the tide than against it. I'll do what everyone else is doing. And then I won't, and then I won't, you know, be be fighting against something that's impossible to fight. I'll just overfill and overfreeze everyone's faces. Everyone else is doing it after all.
0: I totally or, feel how you feel. I mean, I, I sometimes feel like it sounds arrogant as an injector to stand on that soapbox and say, I'm not going to do those things. I'm, I'm not going to do those lips. No, no, no. And you almost get into a clash every day with one or two people because they're demanding stuff that you say no to. And, you know, you get some heat back and it, it's, it's stressful. And, yeah. you know, you always have that awkward moment where you've got to turn people away. And yet, if you don't do that, like you say, you just going to be part of this industry that unfortunately is making people look weird.
2: Absolutely. And it's, you know, and it's, it's come down to my moral compass has been tested and I was fortunate. You know, we, we can, we can, we have to in life look at inciting incidents as a gift and we have to look them in the eye. We either decide that we continue what we were doing and don't make a change or we look it in the eye and we make a change. And from that change is where I decided that, okay, I have to write my book Mm -hmm. because in my treatment room, my voice is little. It's really little. And as soon as that patient has walked out the door and they've turned their Instagram feed on and they've seen those lips or those cheeks, I've lost them. Yeah. But on paper, my voice is huge. And that's what I had to do because I had to make it – a way that I could sit back and say, I've done everything I can so that when my daughters grow up, they're six and eight, when they grow up and they ask the question, am I beautiful enough? Sorry, this makes me really emotional because it's the reason, the reason I wrote the book was to protect them, to protect Mm -hmm. my daughters and everyone else's daughters out there because Mm -hmm. they're so, we haven't, as females from a young age, we have an inbuilt ability just for self-loathing rather than self-loving.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was going to be my next question because I noticed in your book you dedicated it to your two daughters and you've got like a little a little sort of pencil drawing of them in there. So um, was, that, was that the reason why you, I guess you dedicated it to them was for that yeah. very
2: reason? It, essentially protecting, protecting them and making sure that when they grow up that uh, I've done my bit and hopefully it, it will just you know, the tidal wave will, will happen and now people are, are sitting there and enough people have, have said to me, why are women doing it to themselves? So I know that it's a, you know, that it's a trend that needs to stop and I'm happy to be the full guy. I'm happy to be the one that stands up and and bears my heart and soul on the line in my book to explain why it needs to stop.
0: Maybe explain to, you know, us, you know, guys, but also listeners who are female, what is that, um, you said the word self-loathing or, or pressure to conform and, and, you know, be skinny and et cetera, et cetera. Like, where does that Mm. come from? I mean, I see it in my patients a lot of the time and it's really sad because they come in and, you know, they'll come out with comments like, you know, I just, I just need something because I just feel like crap and, you know, I've just blown yeah. up my partner and I've got to yeah. do something. It's almost like this desperate thing that they've got to inject into their face because mm. it's, it's almost like they want <laughs> an injectable antibody. Oh. I don't yes, think yes. as a joke. But
2: no, 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 like no. no. It's, you've, you've, you've hit the nail on the head. So we've become, we are a quick fix society. So, we think we've been fed, you know, via the way that we're marketed to now, the idea that we can fix whatever it is, whatever ailment, whatever emotion, whatever feeling, whatever thing, quite quickly. And quite often that will be with quick fix injectables, Mm. dare I say. So, the idea that you can have something injected into your face and it will suddenly make you more beautiful and therefore happy is another fear of missing out marketing lie that we're being fed because you can't treat a knife wound with a band-aid. If there's stuff going on in your heart and your head, one mil of dermal filler for $399 on special for today only will not touch it.
0: Yeah and yet the really weird thing and this is what fascinates me about injectables and it's kind of why I'm so passionate about it is that Treating someone in the right headspace and delivering the same result does genuinely affect mood. It does make people feel more confident. Mm, And, mm. you know, those minor little airbrush tweaks that we do just stimulate someone to be so much more about who they are because they feel better about themselves.
2: Absolutely. And when I first started Injectables, I could actually sit there and say having cosmetic Injectables can make you feel better about yourself, but it, it, I can't say that anymore because we we do think it's an injectable antidepressant. If I thought that having stuff injected into my face would make me the happiest I've ever been, I'd be having fifty mils a day injected
0: into my face. <laughs> yeah.
2: I would not be keep. I would not be giving that to patients. I'd be I'd be having that put into myself.
0: Yeah, I remember a chapter from your book actually. I don't know if you want to elaborate on it. It was the lady who was i think depressed and she was using her botox like a mask to yeah. hide that from her family about how sad she was yeah that's, yes. that's a really insightful story just so yeah my-
2: yeah so that was actually when i and that's that's one of that's a patient who i treated at the very start of my my career um, and who i think about often because she's a lesson to to all of us um And she wanted to have that completely frozen and expressionless face for, quote, so that no one, so that her husband and her children didn't know how unhappy she was, Mm. unquote. So she was using it as as a Band-Aid. And like I said, you can't put a Band-Aid on a knife wound. And she was using it to hide how depressed and unhappy she was in herself And of course, these things always come to bite us on the bottom because if you can't show facial expression, you can't connect. And if you can't connect to other people through how you're feeling, through showing how you're feeling, through your facial expression muscles, then you can't connect to yourself. You can't show vulnerability. And only vulnerability, expressing vulnerability and being vulnerable, will allow you to feel any any sense of connection
0: or self-love yeah i agree how would you approach a botox treatment because that's the you know the bread and butter of what we do Mm. it's often the first thing that people um you know do when they're exploring these treatments so getting away from wrinkles how do you explain what we're trying to do because this is a key to getting people understand injectables i think
2: Mm, absolutely so so a baby, when a baby comes out, a baby has, is able to frown. A baby has little creases. A baby has little nasolabial folds. You don't suddenly go, they need to have injectables. No. Mm-hmm. It's important that at the very first instance that every single injector and every single practitioner in this industry analyses and assesses what their patient's unique facial feature is, what makes them uniquely beautiful. And then, and only then build a treatment plan based on enhancing the unique facial feature. And that might be if they come in, I've seen, and I talk about a, a case study, a story in my book about a lady with the most beautiful crow's feet. So her crow's feet, like I said, radiate upwards. Think think the kind of crow's feet like George Clooney. Think about his eyes. Look at, you know, he's got these beautiful smiling wrinkles. And this lady came to me and she said, I want my crow's feet gone. Can you get rid of them? Which is a very common thing that, that patients say. I want to get rid of this, well, you can't. You can't get rid of anything yeah. on the human body, but that's another story. And I ex- had I explained to her because I always listen to their concerns first, and then I go through and I educate them about what their unique facial feature is. They they don't know. They're never told. They've never been told what it is. Yeah. Once they understand what their unique facial feature is, and I explain. To her for example that if I were to go and wipe out her beautiful smiling crow's feet that she hated so much because all she could see was the wrinkles that I'd take away the sparkle from her smile yeah and then that would actually make her look more unhappy so I looked at the areas that were detracting from her beautiful smile and treated those instead so yes she had you know deep heavy strong lines in in the floor, in the frown area which made her look upset or worried or angry yep. so we softened those she had you know a bit of flattening around the lateral cheek which meant that her crow's feet were radiating downwards now anything on the face that radiates downwards so tear troughs Crows' feet that go down, anything that radiates downwards on the face can make us look sad, unhappy, angry. Saggy. It's a negative emotion. Whereas things that go up in the face make us look happy. They make us look brighter. So we did a little bit of you know, dermal filler, if you like, support in that lateral and lower crows' feet area, that lateral cheek, to help to actually support her beautiful crows' feet. And that's how you, it's just about explaining that to them. If you empower them. And then she walked out of there and said, no one's ever told me that I have beautiful eyes. I saw her at her review two weeks later and she said, I've got tickets on myself. She said, everyone is saying to me, gee, your eyes are beautiful. Are you using a new mascara? And that kind of thing.
0: That's awesome. So to push you on that um, upward vector of facial features, where do you stand on fox eyes?
2: (laughs) Uh Yeah. (laughs) okay um so eyebrows are generally arched aren't they what's the i don't i don't know i it's
0: it's weird the fox
2: eyes that i've seen have made people look very weird it 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 makes them
0: yeah and it's 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 bizarre and it is bizarre yeah i mean I don't do them and I don't do threads just for clarity, but you almost see how they've tried to pull up the skin. You get this puckering of the skin and the yeah. temple and you're like, yeah. well, that's a really crap trade-off.
2: Yes, yes. And it's a crap trade-off because uh, what's beautiful about an eyebrow is an is an arch, yeah. is a soft sloping arch, not a, a straight line, which is what's happening to a lot of them. They're getting this straight line, which... yeah.
0: I never knew that Being the Merciless was kind of seen as a fashion icon, but maybe those eyebrows are trendy. I don't know.
2: Exactly. And, again, it's a perfect example of they've seen someone on Instagram, a clinic's promoting it, an influencer is promoting it. And they sit there and they say, I want that too. I'm not happy with what I've got. I had the lips done. That didn't make me happy. I had the cheeks done because she said they, you know, she looked really happy when she had hers done. I had them done. That didn't work. Oh, I know what it is. I've got to have the fox eyes. I'll go and have the fox eyes. Damn it, that hasn't made me happy either. Yeah. So it's all this internal, and that's what my book goes into. I I have I've designed a practice called the inner power practice and that is basically saying to the reader you can do all you like to the outside of you to you externally but it will never ever fix what's going on inside or never help and so I teach my reader how to identify their unique facial feature and I think that's the most important thing because instead of me trying to convince the practitioners out there that this is how I think that they should be Practicing ethically and morally, us. I'm going straight to the people. Power to the people now, and I'm teaching. I'm teaching the the people how to identify their unique facial features, so that if they walk into a clinic and someone says oh, you need your frown done, you need this done, you need that done, and, and if you have this today, we're doing a package deal so you can get two mils and your and you've, you've frown done for whatever price, that they can turn around and say, hang on a minute, how is that supporting my unique facial feature or yeah. is it?
0: Yeah, but doesn't the, the cookie-cutter approach doesn't translate to bespoke no, treatments.
2: Not at all. Otherwise, we all look the same. Is is not every single person out there currently looking the same?
0: Yeah. I'm interested in your in your consultation techniques. How how are you getting people to understand their unique facial feature? Do you use obviously photography or mirrors or what, what are you doing?
2: I actually don't use f- photos because I find that if if we look at a photo of ourselves, we straight away go to the negative. We go, "Oh my gosh, look at my such or whatever." And photos aren't a really good representation of our personality. Mm-hmm. Again because they're so they're so 2D they don't take our facial nuances into consideration whatsoever. Um, I actually just use the mirror. Yeah. So I, within chatting to them and I, you know, the mirror comes out at, you know, not at the start at all. It comes out midway through the process, chatting with them, talking to them, understanding them. And, and that's right. You, you know, people who have, are experienced in this, this area know that you can look at someone quite quickly and know, what their unique facial feature is. Yes. So it's something about them that strikes you about them. It's like, wow, their their mouth, their chin, whatever it is naturally that they have is, is quite amazing. And watching mm-hmm. them animate just confirms that for you. It just kind of adds gravitas to their unique facial features. So I tell them what their unique facial feature is before I give them the mirror. Because if you give them the mirror on before they know this positive knowledge about themselves, they just pick apart their face. Yes. Whereas if I explain to them what's so beautiful about their face and what is what is so unique and how beautiful what their eyes are or their, their cheekbones and how naturally beautiful they are and then I give them the mirror, they look at that thing as if it's the first time they've ever seen it. Yeah. And they go, I didn't I don't I didn't realize I had nice eyes. And 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 instead of going, "Really? Didn't you? You're crazy." No, it's it's more of a case of that's okay. Most of us don't. Most yeah. of us don't know what our unique facial feature is. I
0: have to say that I mean, I do use photos. I also use mirror and then, you know, I sit with them and we animate their face as they're looking in the mirror, but I find it you're right with the photos. 50% of people go, oh my God, I can't look oh, at those. Oh, don't show
1: me that. Oh, my oh God, yeah.
0: I can't believe I look like that. But I, I, I sort of use that as a positive of the consultation because I'm like, fair enough. We don't normally see our face because you know how many people stand in the mirror all day? Not many of mm. us. Mm. So mm. that kind of is our reality, albeit a 2D reality. But now let's look at your face properly as you're talking in a mirror and smiling. Yeah. And let's get into the detail. Mm. I think people don't understand their face. You're you're right. Um, And until you you focus on it and maybe get a compliment and give them some steps to understand what what anatomy and facial dynamics are, they Mm. can't understand that. Hence, they ask for augmented cheeks because that's what they think it should be.
2: That's right, that's right, when in actual fact it's their cheeks are, are lovely and it's probably just a little bit of lateral cheek support for the crow's feet and helping to detract from, you know, a receding chin or a, a mouth frown or something like that because wherever our, it's like, it's, it's like if you're looking at a painting and a beautiful piece of artwork. Now if the artist has, has intended for the garden, to be the standout of that painting and you come along and you go okay I'm going to actually paint over this and I'm going to make the house stand out all that's happened then is there's confusion because now there's two unique facial features if you like and now that the painting has lost its it's the ebb and flow of a story. It's lost yeah. the nuances and the beauty. It's now kind of become a little bit caricature-ish yeah. and a little bit like a child's abstract drawing as opposed to a beautiful, subtle push and pull of a, of a, of a beautiful piece of artwork. And that's yes. what's happening is that people are going, I want the lips, I want the cheeks, I want the chin. And clinics are more than happy to, to give it to them but they're actually losing what's most unique and beautiful about them. We have one lead actor on our face, not more than that. If you have more than one lead actor in a film or on a show that you're watching, it just becomes loud and ghastly and it's confusing. Yeah. It's the same with your face.
0: And I mean this in the nicest of ways, but when you see patients on your treatment bed, um, it's almost like they're trying to overcompensate. So the eyelashes are stuck on. The, you know, the hair extensions are done, the the acrylic nails, fair enough, they may have had some, you know, body augmentation, and then they want the face done. And it's kind of like, there is no one now redeeming feature. It's all over-characterized. Yes. And so that's what we mean, I guess, by inverted commas, the fake look. Yes. Because we know that there isn't one natural redeeming feature. It's all been yeah. augmented and like you said there 's no unique feature anymore
2: mm, they 've been perfected to a point where what is what is perfection i mean perfection is perfection a perfectly round um, cup or you know without any flaws or without is, is it is it perfectly round is it perfectly symmetrical or is it something that 's interesting yeah' it's, it's it, 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 i think in terms of the human body we there is nothing, uh, the most perfect thing about our human body is the fact that we wake up every morning and we're still breathing. Mm. It, we, it's not about what it looks like externally. It's about healing and facilitating the internal functioning of the human body, be it the mechanics or the mind or the heart, whatever it is, it's about facilitating that stuff. Now you can look at someone who looks textbook perfect, Yeah, you know, they can sit there and they can say, they, they can look at themselves in the mirror and say, yes, my lips are the best they can be, my chin the best it can be, my jaw, my eyes, my cheeks, my breasts, my hair, my eyelashes, my eyebrows, everything is the best it can be. But guess what? If they're not a nice person, they're never, ever going
0: to be beautiful. Yeah, or, or if they're using those as tools to compensate for underconfidence or whatever it may be. Or something
2: else that, ne- that needs desperately to be, that they
0: need help with. Now, I'm going to flip this around on you because you were on camera for years as an actress. Do you feel mm, like mm. you've become more confident in yourself because you had to see yourself on film, let alone photos the whole time? Did you mm. scream yourself back in those days?
2: Oh, absolutely. So we, as, as a professional actor, you are you are chosen or not based on a five by eight inch photograph of yourself. And next to that photograph is your dress size, your waist size, your bust size, and your hips. Mm. So, and quite often, you know, that, that's all that'll go to the casting director. And they'll have, you know, hundreds upon hundreds of these photos. And based entirely on how you look and your size, then you'll get a call in or not for an audition. Now, I have had a love-hate relationship with my nose all my life. So from a very young age, I've wanted to have Madonna's nose because who wouldn't? She's got a beautiful nose. (laughs) So I promised myself that the moment I turned 18 that I'd get a a nose job. And then thankfully, you know, when I turned 18, I was first year uni or whatever and I couldn't afford (laughs) (laughs) anything let alone a nose job and there was no such thing as after pay or (laughs) zip pay (laughs) or anything like that back then which is which I'm so relieved for now as as an actor my nose was both my blessing and my curse so I would get typecast based on my nose as Mm -hmm. the all as the never as the 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 beautiful lead but always as her best friend
0: Right. Yeah.
2: Always is the the support, the support to the lead. Because I don't know, a, a slightly larger nose on a petite face apparently is it, it, it typifies knowledge. I don't know. But anyway, and there was times when I got I missed out on really big jobs because, and I got right to the end, and it was between me and someone else, and I got rejected by the head executive director because my nose was too big. Really? Yeah, absolutely. And that's what it's like. But as a performer, as an actor, I studied for years to understand and almost build up that resilience. And so I took, you know, I every time I, I my agent submitted me for an audition, I was putting myself up for essentially that kind of judgment. And that's different to what people are doing today because everyone can be an actor, everyone can be a performer, but they don't have the training to know how to handle it. Yeah. So when someone makes a comment on their Instagram, and a reality TV is a prime example of this. These are these are people who aren't, well, mind you, there's some debate as to whether or not they're trained actors or not, but but most of them aren't trained actors and they're just everyday people. And they go on and suddenly everyone believes they're an expert and suddenly everyone can, can say this is wrong about their face, this is wrong about their face. And how are they supposed to cope with that? Yeah. The judgment today is horrific. The, and I say it in my book and I've actually got a, a, a chapter on celebrity pressure. If you've ever been the type of person to pass judgment on your device or your computer, on someone's face and to say something about someone's face or their body, you need to ask for forgiveness because
0: it's wrong. I've got to say um, I I take real offence. If I do a before and after or something on, on my Instagram to showcase something that someone was really happy with and then you get some chippy comment like, oh, you should have done a chin as well, mate. I just think it's so rude and and wrong and judgmental. Yeah. You know, and yeah. my patient has given me their consent to showcase something beautiful that they value oh, and then someone exactly. from their bed decides that it's not good enough. I just think that that's such a weird attitude. Yeah, it's just, it is. And that's the, unfortunately the, the world we live in.
2: It is, it is. And that's why it's this whole idea of quick fix and that's why you can see why – Influences anyone with any kind of Instagram following, celebrities, reality TV stars, they can go quickly down the rabbit hole of what I call the pretty ugly face. And what that is, is essentially they're so obsessed with trying to keep up with the expectation, trying to make everything perfect on their face, that they end up becoming... A, a pretty ugly face. Yeah. And what that that short shortened stands for is puff. And they do, they become puffy <laughs> and they and it's actually it was a beautiful patient of mine who who came up, who coined the term. And she came to me, it was a couple a few years ago now and she came to me and she said, Anita. And it was whatever, whatever season of married at first sight. And she asked me, and they do whatever reality TV series is on at the time, they ask us, don't they? They say, "Why Have you seen her lips? Have you seen her cheeks? What is she doing to herself? Oh, my goodness. And this lady said to me, why are they doing it to themselves? Why do they do it? And I said, it's hard to understand why, isn't it? It really is hard to understand, but it, it boils down to the fact that they don't know what makes them beautiful. Mm. So, and she said, they, they, they're almost stupid ugly now and they, they've become they've tried to become so pretty that they're now ugly
0: yeah I and that's understand. where it
2: came mm. In
0: the benefit of our listeners david hasn't got bored he we've uh, we've had technical difficulties so he is here listening and nodding and smiling but unfortunately he can't with his um,
2: beautiful eyes
0: yeah with his lovely jawline and beautiful eyes <laughs> um do you think that uh, you know well, I guess social media is driving pretty much everything we do, whether we like it or not. What influence mm-hmm. is that having on the more serious aspects like body dysmorphia?
2: Mm, yeah, uh, it's, it's exacerbated it so much. And I think, you know, I mean, back in, in the day, yeah, we had a percentage of patients that were body dysmorphic, um, but now even patients who were fairly stable, in their expectations, are quite quickly flipping between being body dysmorphic and and not being body dysmorphic. Yeah. It's very easy for us to think and then, and then for patients to become angry at their practitioner and at, at us because they think that we're withholding their right to what they think will make them happy. So if I say to someone, no, I don't, I had a patient just yesterday and she said, I, I, I want my lips done again. So I'd already treated them three months ago. She said, I want my lips done again and I want this and that done. And I said, what, why do you want your lips done again?
0: Yeah.
2: They look great. They, they look really nice. They're holding beautifully. Oh, yeah, I know. But I just want, now that I've had them done and I've looked at a few other people and, and theirs are slightly bigger and I said, but if we do your if we do your lips if we do any more in your lips because they you have a small mouth you have a petite lower face if we go and do any more in your lips we're actually going to detract from and she's someone else who had a really unusual eye color
1: mm.
2: almost like a caramel eye color i said we're going to lose your what's unique about your face and that's your beautiful eye color because all the attention then will be on these large lips that now don't suit your face yeah I can't remember what the question was, Jake. Sorry. I do. <laughs> it, was,
0: <laughs> it was about, do you think, I, I guess I'll reword it. All oh, the
2: expectations.
0: Or do you think no. we are on a slippery slope by yeah. using social media? Definitely. Turn Definitely. more body dysmorphic.
2: Definitely. I do. But you know what? Guess what? You're an adult. David's an adult. I'm an adult. If someone's got a smartphone and they've got an Instagram account, in my opinion, hopefully the parents of, you know, if they're old enough, they're adults too. So we have to take responsibility as adults what we let into our lives. Yeah. So we can't sit there and, and then blame the practitioner because guess what? Most practitioners will sit there and say, oh, my gosh, I cannot. I know so many practitioners who have left the industry because of the pressure mm. that patients put them under and especially practitioners that don't have a loyal following, I don't see a lot of young girls anymore in my practice because I don't tell them what they want to hear, which is, yes, I'll do your lips.
0: (laughs) Yeah. This is kind of similar to me, to be honest. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, so if there's willing clinics out there, which we all know there is, um, that are willing to actually pump up their lips and their cheeks and their chins and whatever it is, then they'll go there. But but it's up to, and that's what I say in my book, I, I say you, if you're reading this book, you're an adult, therefore take responsibility for what you do to yourself. Don't put that responsibility onto another person or onto your practitioner because that's not fair.
0: Yeah, and that leads to a really kind of good question of how do you say no? I mean, mm. it's always awkward and like you said, some people feel... So much pressure that they think, "Screw this, I, I just can 't deal with this every day because yeah. you sort of get vilified for being like the gatekeeper Horrible. of of magic treatments,
2: yeah, yeah, and I hate to say it, but that 's where my, my inciting incident, my near fatal asthma attack, was my my blessing it wasn 't my time to go, thankfully, mm-hmm. um, so I've, so when I do say no and i 've always said no when I deem that it 's necessary. And now when I say no, I kind of, I have the, I'm safe in the knowledge that it doesn't matter what they they say to me um, or the tantrum that they throw because it's actually not worth my death. Yeah. It's not worth my daughters losing their mother because I'm saying no to someone who's becoming obsessive about having dermal fillers in their lips like someone else has had or something. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, it's a hard word to say, but at the end of the day as well, we're, we're medical practitioners. We're practicing with the schedule for medicine. It's not like we're saying to someone, you're not allowed that extra piece of cake. If you're in, ho- if they are in a hospital, we wouldn't be saying if someone said, Oh yeah, can I please have, you know, more morphine, can I please have that extra, you know, a tenolol tablet, we wouldn't be saying yes, oh, yes, okay, because you're, you know, I can't say no. We'd be saying no, you can't.
0: <laughs> no, 100%. And I guess, and maybe you subconsciously did this, but the fact that you only see your regulars now takes away some of that because they trust you. Yeah. You know, you're not yeah. meeting people who don't understand aesthetics at all and so yes. maybe you encounter that less now, I don't know.
2: Yeah, it, I, I definitely do encounter it less. Um, but what's interesting is sometimes, and, and still, because I'm, I can only be with them in the treatment room. I can't, I can't control their temptations when they're not with me.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So, so I can only hope that what I say to them in the treatment room stays with them when they're being tempted by pictures on Instagram of, of lips and cheeks and all the rest of it and smiling, happy faces, um, that they think that that's going to be the reality. So it's interesting when I do have a loyal patient who I've been treating for years say, Oh, do you think I should, do you think I should have this done? And it's not, do you think I need it? They never. They don't say. It's. Do you think I should have this done? Or I want this done, and you explore why. Oh, because my friend had it, or because this clinic was advertised and it looks really good.
0: Yeah, yeah. For any experienced or, or new injector out there, kind of battling these questions, I think the question is always: Why do you want to do that? What What do you think the net result will be if we do that extra mill in your lip? And then you often find. You know, you're not trying to unsettle your patient, but the, mm. the argument quickly untangles to, I don't really know. I just thought it would be a good yeah. idea.
2: Yeah, I saw it. It's generally I, I saw it.
0: Yeah. So I think that's always a good one to sort of ask the why rather than what do you want today.
2: Yeah, that's right. That's right because not, they're not ordering a smoothie. <laughs>
0: they're I'm ordering. The McDonald's model. I'll have that, that it's and that.
2: A, yeah, well... I'll I'll talk off off air to you both about something that I found out last night, but That's <laughs> another more. To, it's similar to McDonald's. It's almost like a drive-through clinic. No that you, way. <laughs> I I have a prediction. I made this a few years ago that soon servo so service stations. You'll get fuel, you will fill up your car and fill up your face at the same time. And I think we're nearly there.
0: Well, I don't know. That, if you Hence, why that. my book is so important. This is serious. Uh, when lockdown was in its sort of peak in America, I don't know where it was, there was, I don't know, let's call it a plastic surgeon, I don't know if it was a plastic surgeon, who offered, literally, you would park up next to him, you'd be masked, you'd wheel down your window, and he would jab you, and then off you go. And I'm assuming these (laughs) are regulars, because there was no consult. It was just in and out. It was just ridiculous. Oh, wow,
2: why? Why the sense of urgency? Why? It's okay. No. You're going to live. If it was you getting your, you know, your medication for atrial fibrillation, then fine, but it's not.
0: Yeah. But, um, but we were talking off air before we started. Um, you know, we've seen this globally. All of our guests who are working around the world have noticed this, this desperate panic from mm. our patients to get stuff done post lockdown mm. or even during mm. lockdown. Mm. What, what yes. Is, what, what's driven that? Because it, it, it's not it's not unique to any town or city. It's everywhere.
2: Yeah, it is everywhere. And it's, it's, I think it comes from a huge fear of missing out. So we are, we are governed by marketing that sells fear. And if we think that everyone's got oranges, I don't know why I keep going back to oranges, everyone's got oranges and we can't get oranges, well, suddenly we become obsessed with with getting oranges. So it's it's like if you if you have you know we were we were in lockdown. I was shut for six weeks. I'm in Queensland. I was closed for six weeks during the first lockdown. Touchwood, we haven't we won't be locked down again. Like poor Melbourne. But um, and what I noticed, you know. <laughs> what i would call regular loyal patients who have good understanding about the medicine and the treatment were it was very much a panic it was like oh my gosh when we when we had word that we could reopen oh my gosh i need to have this done and then not only would they have what they would re- regularly have but they'd say oh can you actually can you do my lips as well can yeah. you do my this can you do my that and i'd say why oh i don't know i just think i should have more done i'm really scared about not being able to have access to you yes again
0: yeah the second lockdown I better get more done now so I'm sort of uh anti-wrinkled for a little bit longer that that was a common thing with me or and uh, this hasn't happened so much but I've had a few people who are treated right at the end of lockdown who have come a little bit earlier than I anticipated and they said look I'm kind of watching the news and what, with what's happening in Melbourne, maybe it'll happen in Sydney. So I've come a mm. bit earlier in case we go into lockdown again. I'm like, this is crazy. Like I can't
2: yeah. make you yeah.
0: more, you know, not that I freeze people, but, I, you know, I can't do something when you're not moving now.
2: That's right. That's right. And I think as well when lockdown was coming to an end, um, there was definitely a lot of unscrupulous advertising based around, we're coming back we're coming back you know this huge sense of expectation mm-hmm. don't you know don't forget to book in don't you know we've only got this many appointments left hurry up, make sure you get in and you know this panic buying and we're talking about panic buying of a schedule 4 medicine yeah which is completely unethical and it's impossible for people to make good judgments if the, if the businesses and the practitioners who are peddling these schedule 4 medicines are telling yeah. them that If they don't get it now, they might not get it, you know, with things like, you know, memes like buy the lips. You never know when you might get them again.
0: Yeah. I've got to say, I mean, and I'm sure I'm guilty of this as well, is that it's very difficult for a medical practitioner to juggle that uh, uh, branding of being professional, being medical, we do things right, versus this is a lifestyle choice. This is not, uh, you know, desperately needed but we can make you feel better at the same time in the in the right circumstances. So getting that mm. messaging right is actually quite difficult. It
2: is difficult and I think a lot of clinics now are you know they're hiring social media experts who are treating it like it is makeup or like it's um, facials. Yeah. And that kind of thing and so they we're losing the <laughs> the respect of the drug, of yes. the drugs that we use and the respect of the practice. Yeah. It is a difficult thing to juggle, to get right. It's it's and that's the same as with with doing good treatments. It's it's difficult to create a beautiful, unique face. It's really easy to overfill and overfreeze. It is so simple. I could teach my daughter to do it in a day it's so easy but it's really hard to make a face to to ensure the face remains beautiful and unique
0: yeah well that's a nice point to ask some ending questions so what would your advice be for a new injector coming into the industry
2: am i allowed to say that they must read my book
0: of course I mean, joking joking aside, I mean, I know you want to plug it. It's great, but it's a good read because, you know, I've said this before, but, you know, most courses that teach you how to do mm, treatments mm. go straight to the glabella and they tell you the standard dose and away you go. But the the consult and the psychology and the interaction with people behind all of those treatments is completely missed. And actually it's hard to teach, which is one reason why it's not taught. So I think mm. the insights and the examples that you use in your book are fantastic because they're very tangible and, and you can almost summarise it in a bullet point but only after mm. you understand the story.
2: Mm, mm. And and I think that's why, because I've used stories to educate the reader because storytelling is the best way to teach people anything yeah. in, in society. And I think as as new injectors, as new clinicians, they need to understand their responsibility and they need to understand that it's not, (laughs) it's not all the glamour, the glitz and the glamour that they assume it is. Yeah. Because I think that's what's happening. I'm seeing it a lot myself. I get asked on a daily basis by newly qualified registered nurses, um, if I will mentor them or if I will, you know, can, can I give them some advice because they've, they've finished school, they've gone and done their nursing. They've never worked in a hospital. They've never worked in a clinical setting apart from their prac that they had to do, Mm -hmm. they're required to do during their degree. And then they come straight out and they go and do that two day course. And then they're, they're going, right. So where do I, where do I start injecting? Where can I start working? It's like, no, it ain't that easy.
0: Yeah, it's you not that word. easy. The motivation it's seems wrong way around.
2: Yeah, the motivation is wrong. They're they're getting into the industry for the wrong reasons, and that's the big thing. You know, I do discuss: is it medicine or is it business? And if it's and if it's business, then please run business can still be run ethically yeah. and do so. So I think new injectors. There's there's. They, they, in reading my book, they, I'm putting them inside my treatment room and that's what I'm doing for the reader is I'm giving them a glimpse inside my treatment room so that they can see how I do it and essentially make the decision if that's the way they want to do it as well.
0: That's fair. Now, where can people, well, what's the name of the book and where, people, where can people buy your book?
2: So my book is called Beautiful Unique Faces. Which is exactly what we're about creating and nurturing, and you can buy my book from well, from actually everywhere. Can I just say I'm I'm now a it got to number one bestseller, so I'm now a number one best selling wow. author.
0: Yeah. On, <laughs> no. on which platform? <laughs>
2: On Amazon,
0: oh, David's giving thumbs up as well. That's awesome, Yay,
2: David. Yeah. Um, so,
0: so, so, so I guess the easiest place is go to Amazon and look for beautiful, unique faces. Unique
2: faces, absolutely. Or you can; it's available Amazon, Booktopia, Fishpond. Um, oh my gosh! Do you know it's available by Dick Smith? Wow, I didn't even know Dick Smith did books, but anyway, Dick Smith as well. Or you can go to my website um, and buy it directly from me, which is. Um, all the W's, anitaeast.com.au forward slash books. Now, in America, you can buy it through Amazon. You can buy it through Barnes & Noble. Yeah. Um, In the UK, you can buy it through uh, amazon.co.uk. There's also book... Oh, actually, you can just Google it and it'll yes. come. It's, it's, I'm actually quite surprised. It's, And it's in Japan. It's everywhere. Wow. It's so I know, I know. It's a little no, bit intimidating. Even, I've
0: got something exciting to dangle for the listeners to make it even more Yes. Um, sort of tangible, we've got a little discount code. So w- can they use the discount code on all of those? so no, Or just your no, website?
2: No, just my website because I I have, I have, can't control, I can't of course. Amazon and Booktopia and all those people. But, yes, if they use the code, all one word, inside aesthetics, or lowercase as well, then they can actually get 10% off that my book. No and that's no if they joke. go... Thank you. And that's if they go to my to buy it directly from me at anitaeast.com.au forward slash books.
0: Perfect. Well, we wish you well and all of the you. luck and success in the world. You've done amazingly you. well. And thank you for being a, an awesome guest. It took us a while to get there. <laughs> COVID kind of screwed up everything when we were planning. Oh,
2: this. it was so lovely to see you both again as
0: well. Absolutely. And I'm going to say bye on David's behalf. He's sat there trying to talk nodding away happening. yeah
2: oh I know <laughs>
0: so sorry about that but I think this is the first true technical fail we've had you know where <laughs> we, we literally something went badly wrong but uh we got oh, there in no. the end um, so I'm assuming people can get in touch with you if they want treatments advice uh registered nurses looking for you know a bit of guidance etc through your yeah. website is that the best way
2: yeah, via my website is probably the best. The And my website is anitaeast.com.au. Um, actually, probably by, by um, Instagram, which is anitaeast underscore.
0: Perfect. So well, that's my
2: Instagram handle, yeah.
0: That's great. Well, thank you again for your time and we'll catch up with you soon. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Care, Anita. Bye-bye. Bye. For our latest news, upcoming guests and episode topics, follow us on Instagram at inside underscore aesthetics. During the week before every recording, look
1: out for our Instagram stories as we'll give you the opportunity to submit your questions to our guests and get a shout out. You can also DM us for any other information, suggestions or guest requests.